Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk over everything race. Joining me on the panel tonight are Gray Warren and Seth Eggert. How you doing tonight, fellas? Doing well. Just fine, man. Glad to be well, here. Yep, yep. Glad to talk to you guys. Like I say, it's the highlight of my week. So let's uh, let's real quick knock out the headlines, and we've got a special guest waiting in the wings that I'm very excited about. So, but but quickly, Formula One, fifth race of the season, fifth one-two finish for Mercedes. Um, not not much has changed there. Um, conversely, both NASCAR and IndyCar put on pretty good shows this week. Uh, we saw Brad Keselowski uh, sneak in a last-minute overtime win in Kansas. And we saw Simon Pagano teach a clinic on racing in the wet at the uh, IndyCar Grand Prix, where he uh, went from sixth place to first place in the last six laps of the race. So much more on that later. But like I said, we have a special guest. Um, Now, we've had a number of interesting guests on the show. We've had a bunch of race car drivers. We've had crew chiefs. We've had mechanics. We've had journalists. We've had authors. Um, This is the first for us, though. Our guest tonight is a filmmaker. Um, Her name is Jenna Ricker. She is the director of the new ESPN 30 for 30 documentary entitled Qualified uh, that follows the story of Janet Guthrie. Uh, Prior to doing that, she's done such films as Ben's Plan and The American Side. And uh, she's won some festival awards, and I- I'm just thrilled to have her uh, on the line with us. Jenna, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Frank. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, oh no, thank you. Um, now, my first question is, did you have any you know, passion or love of auto racing at all before you took on this project? And then my follow-up question is, is how was it that you became attached to this project and you know was it something that was sort of your brainchild or were you brought in uh great questions so you know i i grew up with my dad you know tuning the radio to the indie broadcast as a kid but to be honest it was just something that my dad did and we watched the you know tape delayed later on at nighttime and you know there was aj Foyt and rutherford and all those guys from the 70s and 80s that i 
knew of peripherally. So I was not really a race fan. And then about 10 years ago, I got asked to attend my first Indy 500 and I was a little skeptical. I thought it's going to be hot. 500 miles is a long time. Like I love sports, but do I really want to do this? And, um, I was, I was told I would, I wouldn't be disappointed and I wasn't, I instantly fell in love with the Indianapolis 500 in general, you know, or specifically rather. Um, but then just all of the dynamics that go along with motorsports, And it was just fascinating to me. And I was so overwhelmed with the epic nature of the event itself at Indy. Uh, and then I started, you know, doing, you're tapping into NASCAR, tapping into um, Formula One. Now, I'm definitely not an expert, but I enjoy it. And I enjoy the massive amounts of unknown quantity that goes with the sport that I just find fascinating. Um, so that was, that's me in motorsports, but Janet's story about, I, about three years ago, I was, uh, on doing the road trip to Indy. I live in New York city. We were doing the road trip to Indy that we do every year. And it occurred to me that I didn't know who the first woman was. I knew there was a woman in the eighties, which is Lynn St. James, but I didn't know, I couldn't recall her name. And I definitely knew it wasn't the contemporaries like Sarah Fisher, Danica Patrick, so I asked um, Greg Stewart, who is my co-producer with a lot of projects and, in fact, worked on this uh, documentary as well. And he's the one who brought me to Indy. And I said, who was the first? And he immediately said, Janet Guthrie, 1977. I looked her up. I got her. I got a hold of her autobiography. It was an, it's an amazing read. And I called her up and uh surprised her and asked her if uh, she'd be willing to talk with me about doing this documentary. Went out to Aspen, Colorado, where she lives, sat with her for a couple days, and then pulled together a pitch and came to ESPN with it and said, hey, listen, we think we have a really good story here and a really specific angle that, <clears throat> excuse me, that goes beyond her just being the first, but talks about what might have been if she'd had the right equipment and had the right sponsorship, what might've been if she'd started younger, you know, just sort of opened up the story a little bit more than just what we'd sort of seen in little promos here and there over the years, you know, around Janet. So that is how the project came to be. That's uh, that's really neat to know that this whole, this whole project is your baby. That That's really cool. And you've got to see the whole thing from start to finish. Yeah. Now my, my next question for you is now the prior films you've made are, narrative um drama and um some of them low budget you know some of them a little more but now you're you got a studio funded project and it's a documentary style which is a little different because you're combining your interview segments with archival footage and whatnot so as a as a film director how did you kind of have to change your approach to to assemble the documentary style of film um, well, you know, yeah, my, my stuff was narrative, you know, I wrote and directed him. Uh, this was, you know, what you have to change is how it comes together in the edit. When you write a script, you, and you shoot the script, you know what you've got and you know how you're going to either save things, lose things, maneuver things, etc. With something like this, I knew the bones of the story that I wanted to tell. And I knew, so many aspects of her life, but it would depend on how the interviews went and what the interviews gave us to work with. Um, and then one of my big goals before we even began was to see how much of the film 
we could tell archivally. And it wasn't until maybe a couple months in that we realized we were going to be able to do that, which was really exciting. Um, and part of the reason I wanted to tell so much of it archivally, which, you know, essentially the whole film's archival, except for the contemporary interviews, is because I didn't know who Janet Guthrie was. And I know I'm not alone in that. And I felt like when I started to see all this archive and see how much she was in the news and in the newspaper all the time, that I felt like that was a really great way to reintroduce her to audiences. All of a sudden, they're thinking consciously or subconsciously, oh, my God, there's Janet Guthrie is everywhere in the late 70s. And I thought that that would be a valuable way to experience her story as she experienced it in as much as you could with, quote unquote, real time, you know, with the archive. Um, so that was the approach. But I have to say, like, the, like I said, the challenges for me from coming from a narrative to the documentary were more about shaping those story points I hoped we would find and indeed did find um, in the edit versus knowing you have them going into the edit, which is what you do with the narrative. So it was kind of a, a search and rescue mission <laughs> in a way. Yeah, so I take you were very involved in the process of looking through the archival footage and just decide what would go in the film and would what would not. Yeah, yeah. very much my, so. I'm, I mean, we my, were looking at archives. Oh, sorry. My, I'm sorry. My favorite was the old Texaco commercials. I thought those were, I thought those were really cool. It brought back memories of, uh, you know, when you had to, when you had to punch a, a hole on top of your oil can. So, but, yeah. but go on. No, it's true that the Haviland commercials were hilarious. Um, yeah, no, it, it was, uh, it was a joyous discovery. Like we had, we knew we had a lot of stuff between ABC and NBC, uh, in terms of race coverage. But then when we discovered, I was in Aspen with another one of our producers, Nina Christick, uh, she and I went out there to do a little bit of an archive reconnaissance and Janet's personal archives. And Janet had all these super eights from her road racing days. And then her brother had all these super eights from her indie days. And it was like a gold mine to find that stuff. And you know, there's a moment in the 78 race, I shouldn't give anything away. So there's a moment in the 78 race where something, you know, drastic happens to Janet just before the race begins. And when we saw archive of that sitting with Janet in her home, I, I knew we were good to go to tell the story archivally. And it was a pretty great moment. Yeah, so I can assume that most of these, the the you know so-called home movies from Janet, there these these will be seen by the public for the first time, correct? Absolutely. There's a ton of never be seen, never before seen footage uh, that includes her archive, some of the photographs and imagery um, that we were able to get a hold of, and yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. Now you've got a, a number of really big names in here that you've interviewed. I mean, A.J. Foyt's in the film. Um, we see Johnny Rutherford, uh, Linda Vaughn, um, you know, Donald Davison that helped you out, um, Jim Lindholm, Dick Simon. Uh, but it, it didn't, you know, go past me that that her two two biggest vocal critics of the day being Bobby Unser and Richard Petty appear archivally, but they're not part of the interview segment. Uh, is there anybody that you reached out to to put in the film that, that either declined or, or it was unavailable or, or was just by design? Uh, no, it wasn't necessarily by design. To be honest, in terms of Richard Petty, we just didn't know if how much NASCAR we were going to be able to cover. 
um, going into the film. You know, this is the first film I've done that's going to broadcast, and there's very specific time limits on that. So we had to really shape the story around, you know, you wanted to talk about that amazing run she had in NASCAR, but we weren't going to be able to give it the kind of depth comparatively to the indie runs that she had, you know, so we, we kind of knew that going in. So, so Richard Petty was somebody that we felt like if we could have him live in archive, that might be able to at least give us the flavor of, of that experience for her and her experience with him. Uh, with Bobby, um, we did want to interview him and at first he declined. Then, um, I came home one day to a wonderful voice message on, on my answering machine that I haven't erased, um, from Bobby and he and I spoke at length and, you know, it became a creative decision because he's such a, you know, such a character and he's such a great racer. Uh, but you know, his viewpoint seemed to, I don't want to, I don't want to take anything away from his viewpoint on Janet, but it didn't seem to have, uh, not so much that it hadn't evolved. It's just that as we spoke, the the drum that kept getting beat was, you know, she she didn't belong there because she was a woman. And I just sort of felt like that wasn't, we didn't have, if that was what we're going to go to Albuquerque and here, we already had that in archive, you know? So I sort of felt like, hmm, I don't know. Now, you know, he's he's such a character and he's so fascinating. And it could very well be that there was more depth there, Um but as I said, like at some point you have to make budget choices and you have to decide what you think, you know, you might be able to um, gain from an interview to add another spectrum or another color to the whole story. And at some point, as we got closer to, to having to lock the picture, I think we all sort of decided it was better just have Bobby live in archive. Yeah, I probably agree with that because you know, I've had several conversation with Bobby Unser and he uh, he's better in archive but uh, he is like you said <laughs> he's an interesting character but uh, I mean we had him on our show actually and all yeah. he could say is that nobody would nobody would care to watch races these days because they, they don't want to worship a computer they appreciate the driver so but, right but that, right. That's, that's that's Bobby Unser for you so and Bobby's my, old school and, and yes his, yeah his, Very old his, school, yeah. yeah and and you know he he comes from a time when racing was a was a male dominated rough and tumble uh, atmosphere, and and basically a lot of those uh, you know attitudes come from from those days, and you can you know uh, put a lot of guys in that in that thing. It's so much different today than than it than it was back then. You know the the attitudes and the openness are, are a little more uh, well. The sport is basically more open to it than it was back in the day. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't have, he didn't have a wrong stance insofar as his big concern was that she was making a leap from the sports cars to the open wheel cars. And she was only doing that. She was only getting an opportunity because she was a woman. Now she was making that leap and it was a big leap. And to her credit, I think she proved she could do it. But I could understand the argument of like, hey, it's not fair that she's just leaping into this sport. But he couldn't get past at some point, no matter what she did, right. that she was a woman. And as she says in the film at one point, you know, if I got this opportunity because I was a woman, there were so many more opportunities I didn't get because I was yeah, a woman, he, which is very true. The, and part of that goes back to the to that old school attitude where you, you had to, whether you were a male or female, 
in those days, you had to earn and gain the respect of mm-hmm. men like Mario Andretti and Bobby Unser and Al Unser and A.J. Foyt, because these were tough-minded guys, and, and, and they understood. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner people that that understood them and raced with them and and that respect came from uh success you know they respected their peers that that shared the same success that that they did to a certain degree and a certain level and i think a lot of it you know uh, that's why they kind of looked down on janet to to some degree because she you know she didn't share their success, and I'm talking about wins and things like that. But, you know, uh, the, the thing that, that, to me, that impressed me about Janet um, was, um, and, I, and I'll say it like this, the late Fireball Roberts said many, many, many years ago, the greatest compliment you can pay someone in our sport is to refer to them as a racer. And that, the term racer uh, goes to the struggle, the the sacrifice, the 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 uh, determination that that people in our sport share. Whether you a driver, a mechanic, or owner, or whatnot, just that that uh, determination to succeed in the sport, to get to get to 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 get into it and and to survive in it, and. Um, you know that's that's a, that's still common today. I mean, you you refer to one of your peers in the sport as a racer. It, it's a compliment, you know, to his to his character in our sport. And that's what you know. Janet was a racer because she made the sacrifice and she made um, um, she did it her way. She came up and did the stuff that grassroots racers do to to get to the next level. And I don't care whether you're male or female. Uh, what you have to respect and admire those qualities in someone that that is following their dream and following their passion. Yeah, I'm so glad you bring that up because that is one of the things for me. You know, having finished her book and then started the massive amount of research on the other drivers and and the that era of racing. You know, and the sort of you know innovations that were still happening and the sacrifices and the deaths. You know, and the I mean, it was it was and is um, a sport that really requires everything of you, both before you're on the mm-hmm. track and then when you're on the track. And I just um, I do feel like Janet really did at the for where she could. There was no way she was going to get in there any other way than 
the way she did, frankly, right? In 1976, they're not combing any circuits to get women into open wheel racing <laughs> at all. So once you step aside from like how she got in there, she, she hadn't sort of done the sprint car, work your way up um, aspect. But when she got there and proved she could stay there, I mean, this is a woman who gave up a career in aeronautical engineering who went broke building her own engines to mm -hmm. race in these road races and just did everything she could do to make it as a professional racer. And when that opportunity comes, I don't care who you are as a, as a racer or a driver, if someone comes to you and says, listen, if you want to drive this car and we can make this car go, do you want to take a shot at this? I, I don't know who would say no to that, you know, no if they're one, a racer, no right? No so, so yeah, so I just, her tenacity and her single-mindedness was just so admirable. And, and to be honest, as a female director, I had a lot of my own kind of kinship to her experience insofar as, you know, to make a movie, you can't do it on your own. You need somebody to back you financially, you know, you like a sponsor, you need uh, a team that comes together that helps you get the, get the film up and running and across the finish line. And I just had so much, there was, it was odd to me and kind of funny that I started to find myself relating in my own experiences um, as a filmmaker to what she was doing as a race car driver, obviously not life yeah. and death, <laughs> because, but, but, but because you faced the same barriers, a lot of the same barriers you had to overcome to, to, you know, make your way in your chosen field. Yeah. I, I can understand that. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of, um, there's another producer, there's four producers on this that were just an awesome, awesome team to work with myself. Uh, a woman named Caroline Waterloo, who was the producer for the OJ Made in America doc, uh, ESPN's, I think it was a six, eight part series mm -hmm. um, about OJ, Nina Christic um, and Greg Stewart. I think this was just such an awesome, vibrant team. And we all, especially the, you know, Nina and Caroline and I, we all, you know, had those moments where the eyes in the room shift to the whoever the man is with you when you're the one who's in charge of a project, you know, and this, we're getting somewhere, <laughs> but those moments still happen. And so again, yeah, like you said, I could really, I, could, I had moments where I was like, Oh boy, Janet, I 40 years later. And I, I know that feeling. Uh, now, Seth, uh, I want to bring you into the conversation because I know uh, you've got uh, a couple of questions or comments. Yes, I do. Uh, as you said, Janet Guthrie uh, wasn't always in the best equipment. Sometimes she wasn't even given the best equipment. Uh, mm. What do you believe are some of the important lessons or takeaways from her story? That's God, Seth. That's a good one. Um, I mean, on the on the one hand, I think one of the takeaways in a more aspirational way <clears throat> is if you want to do something, you find a way to do it. And that's, you know what I mean? Like the, and that's her inspirational side in the sort of technical side as a racer, you know, I asked her if she ever regretted saying no to Pat Patrick, for example, who did ask her to leave Rollin and join his team. And she said she never once regretted it. And I think she knew as a racer, perhaps at 39 at the time, I think she was 39, one year into a full year of racing. And you know, the other drivers that Pat Patrick had, these were guys he had put a lot of time and money behind. She may have been left behind, 
you know, he may have given her like one ride and then taken it all away. And I think she wasn't sure how that would have gone, I should say, you know? And so when it comes to the equipment and the opportunity, um, God, I, I don't know what the takeaway is other than what she did was to try to get the most out of her cars. And she really did do that statistically comparative to the drivers who had had the cars before her or after her. So she did have a talent for making, you know, shit boxes as they like to call them, uh, mm-hmm. fly. Now she was a mechanic, you know, she was building her own engine. So it might've had something to do with that. I know that when I spoke with Phil Casey, um, amazing mechanic, um, and, and Kenny Azawa and Jim Lindham, all of her, you know, chief mechanics, they all said that she had this ridiculous knack to hear and feel things that, you know, you almost couldn't believe her. And then they take the, sh- they take it back to the shop and they'd be like, damn it. She was right. That is, <laughs> there is something going on here. So she, and I think, I think that ha- had to do with, you know, her building her own engine. So I guess the takeaway was, is if you're going to have to deal with some bad equipment, learn to know it and love it and see what you can get out of it. I mean, I mean, today too, the cars and chassis and the, the setups aren't, aren't as different as they were back then. So, you know, there's something to that too. And just being the NASCAR uh, guy on this podcast, uh, no offense, Gray, but uh, uh, I remember a story from when she ran the 600, which you do mention a little bit not to give too much away from the doc but uh the story goes she was slow in practice and one of the teams had been helping her effort out in part because of humpy wheeler uh the track promoter was junior johnson's team and he went over to her and asked her if she had really gone that slow she could really do this when she said yes he put kale yarborough in her car and he went three miles per hour slower than her. Yeah. <laughs> and he looked at the crew chief and his only comment was give her the damn setup. Yeah. He walked off. And yeah. in that race, uh, I actually looked at the stats. She beat a number of NASCAR hall of famers, including Bill Elliott, who lost an engine, I think 20 laps ago, 30 laps mm-hmm. ago, something like that. So it's impressive nonetheless and where she had a lot of criticism and was under a microscope throughout her entire career. Do you think women, at least today are getting a fair shake in motorsports? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily an equal shake, um, is the best way to put it. Like if you to, to win, you have to race to race. You have to have the sponsorship and the setups and all that stuff and the team. And so if you're going to progress and be competitive, you have to run more races. And I think what's happening still to some extent, I mean, Danica was an exception, I think, is that what's happening still is a lot of women are getting one or two shots, you know, only the big ones or only the marquee names. Well, you know, it's going to be hard to carve out a real presence that puts moves the needle enough that a young woman coming up somewhere in this, you know, sprint tracks or go-kart says, Hey, I know I can do it because so-and-so is doing it, you know? And I think subconsciously and consciously, that's what we all do as young people with dreams. We find people that look like us or have, you know, goals like us and we emulate them. 
So if you're a young racer, a young woman, and you have only a handful of people that only pop up every once in a while, it can feel really like, well, I don't know if that's the way, if that's what I want to do. It doesn't seem to be working, you know? Um, so I guess that's a long way to answer the question that I think, I think people might, I think fans and ideally racers themselves are much more open to it than they were in 76 when Janet shows up. But I still think we have a long way to go to make it a viable reality for young women to pursue it as a goal. I remember as a little girl, I loved playing soccer and I was in the car with my dad and we were driving by um, Angel Stadium. I grew up in Southern California and we were driving by Angel Stadium and there was a soccer match going on. And I got so excited and I said to my dad, I'm going to do that when I grow up. And he said to me, oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. They don't have women's soccer. And at the time they didn't, you know? And so I just, I always think about that moment. It was like the first moment for me, I found out I couldn't do something because I was a girl or a woman, you know? And so I, I guess that we still have to move the needle on bringing women into the sport and finding a way to keep them there. And I totally understand that it is an expensive sport and it is hard for everybody to get sponsorship, you know, but I, I think, I think you have to have more women and more races who can then win and have a, an honest shot at winning before, you know, we can sort of say that we've turned a massive corner on it. And, yeah. Oh, uh, go ahead, Seth. I'm uh, sorry. This is, this is my last one. Uh, there's a, another NASCAR story uh, at Bristol one time. Janet Guthrie uh, <clears throat> was suffering, I want to say, from the flu. And mid-race, uh, Ricky Rudd had gotten in her car as a relief driver. And he said he could not believe the same people who were pulling over for him earlier were now fighting almost like to the death uh, with him because they thought it was still Janet in the car. Yep. And... He actually booted one out of the way who gave him a certain gesture, thinking it was <laughs> Janet, and post-race went looking for Janet, not knowing that Janet was sick and had left the track at that point. Uh, so I'm just curious, uh, how much differently do you think Janet on track was raised compared, not let alone the criticism she got off track? Yeah, unfortunately, I think that that was not an uncommon story. Ricky Rudd's story is not uncommon to her experience. I know that there was um, in 78 when she was racing the Texaco Star, you know, with the team she funded and, and built herself, basically, um, with a month to go to, <laughs> to the race, which is just insanity. But when, um, when she was doing that, George Bignotti was helping out a lot with the team. And at one point... Um, Gordon Johncock got in the car to shake it down and he came back and he was furious. He like threw his helmet. He was furious because he was being treated similar to Ricky Rudd. And he sort of was his first awareness that like, holy sh crap, <laughs> this, this is what you're dealing with out there, Janet, you know? And so I think, I don't think it was uncommon and it's really scary because we know how dangerous the sport is uh, on a good day. But to have that, to be having to face that down when you race every time, you know, there were slower cars that want to get out of the way when she would race. Um, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, it's that thing where like, you know, there's, there's racing and there's being a rookie. And then there's what Janet had to deal with, which was a whole other level. 
Right, and it comes back around full circle to the attitudes that guys like Bobby Unser and some of those guys had, you know, and, it, and, and it's a respect thing, you know, uh, in their eyes. And that's mm. why they get, that's why they raced her a, a, a certain way. And it, and, it, and it goes on today. I mean, it, you know, even, you know, whether you're male or female, you have to earn the respect of the so-called hot dogs, you know, in the sport. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting, though, is that, you know, the AJ Foyt, for example, I mean, I don't think you get any more bravado than AJ, you know, Mm -hmm. and he felt very much like, you know, the the racer, the competitor that is AJ looked at her as just another competitor. If she can do Mm -hmm. it, great. It's one more person for me to beat. And I just so admired that mindset. I know he was somewhat in the, um, uh, minority with that yeah. in terms of those those top racers but you know a lot of the guys did come around it's just that we're lucky janet didn't get into some horrific accident yeah. in the meantime you know but they did come around I, I think bobby i you know petty may have come around for all i know but um well, i know guys like daryl waltrip and some of those those guys came around and 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 she earned their respect and, and their admiration for, for what she did. But, you know, it goes on, it, it goes on back in the pack. You know, there's a lot of guys out there that, that are, that week in and week out are racing, you know, for their livelihood and, and, and race from 15th to, to, to 30th back in the pack. And those guys race tooth and nail for mm-hmm. everything they can get. And, you know, you throw someone in like in there like that, you know, they, they are going to have less respect for her than say the, 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 the upper echelon in the sport. Right. I see. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. It's true. She was going to be in that pack, you know, Mm -hmm. to your point, she was going to be in that, you know, front, uh, front of the middle is kind of where she always landed. She seemed to often land in like, you know, 13th, 14th qualifying mm-hmm. position, at least at Indian NASCAR, she, she qualified much higher at times. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah. I think that then you're talking about these guys trying to fight for position and here she is. And, and what are we going to do with, with this now? Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's bittersweet because there's a the part of me that totally understands that. And then there's a part of me that feels like but for what, at what moment did it change for you guys when you saw that she wasn't, she wasn't engaging your lives. She could do, mm-hmm. she could race, she could compete. And that's once I switch over to that side, I start to be annoyed with the, the ones that couldn't right. get and, on and with she, it. And she made, she, she, she gave a good account of herself every time she got in the car. She, she wasn't in the way she was, she was competitive. She, she was she got out there and she gave she gave everything she could and got the most out of the equipment that she did and and, and she I think a lot of times uh, she beat a lot of guys and and I think that that you know was was another thing she had to overcome as well. Yeah, that's true. You know, the other thing that I had done at one moment and I you know forgive me I'm not going to be able to you know, pull the stats correctly. But at one point I just wanted to see, you know, Janet had two, her second Indy, she finishes in the top 10 in, in the, in an Indy car that she's driving for the first time, for the first time that year, that whole season, you know? And I thought, well, how did some of these other racers that, you know, roll off the, our tongues, these champions, how did they fare in their second Indy? How long did it take them to finish in the top 10? And it was really interesting, you know, Rutherford and some of these other guys, they were, 
many more races, many mm-hmm. more indies and full seasons of indie cars before they finished anywhere in the top 10. And I just thought that was, you know, you know, racing is such, uh, as detailed it's, sport. It's not yeah, just it's, like the fastest, you know, there's yeah. so many components, but I just thought that was so interesting. And each competitor has a rite of passage that they have to go through to, to ascend, you know, mm. in the, in the sport as well. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty interesting stuff. I love, I love the fact that racing isn't just right, well, as simple. Well, go ahead, Jenna. <laughs> yes. No, I would just, uh, we just, we're just running up, running up against our time limit for the segments. So I, I want to tell we're having a great conversation here, but, uh, I, I really want to, uh, thank you for coming on the show. The film is called qualified. It's going to premiere on May 28th on ESPN networks. And then there'll be a number of other broadcasts of that as well on ESPN. They, they, they'll show it on ESPN too and you and that. So, um, so do you have any other screenings or events, um, planned for, for the month of May in the Indianapolis area as you've been doing? You know what? I, at the moment, no, um, Janet's coming to New York, uh, at the beginning of next week and we'll be, you know, do going around and, uh, talking about the film, but at the moment, I don't know if I'll get back to Indy before actually coming for the race. So, uh, so everyone should definitely mark their calendars for May 28th, 8 PM ESPN, and then check it on out from there. Look forward to it. Yeah. Thank so you now, guys. Now where can uh, folks uh, find you on social media or find more information about the film? Or, or are there any other sponsors you need to plug as I tell all my race car driver guests <laughs> well they they probably go on and on with the sponsor list um <laughs> yeah. well i i just want to thank i want to thank you know and put a shout out to my awesome team caroline waterloo nina christic greg stewart and then the folks at espn that believed in this project and got behind it um it's been an awesome ride at this time last year we were heading out to indy to start doing our interviews with everybody so it's been a good good long happy profitable year so uh, on social media, I mean, you can follow me, you know, you can find me just by my name. Um, then I have a website for another film that, uh, you can look at too for the American side, but in terms of ESPN and qualified their website, ESPN 30 for 30 films, um, you can, uh, track us down there and then see the movie. Well, that sounds great. And my, my other plan is to watch the American side because I'd read the description of the film. Um, where there, there's a detective trying to hunt down a missing Tesla device. I, I think this uh, this is right up my alley. I like uh, I like an interesting film like that. So yeah, I'm, it's, I'm looking uh, it's forward juicy. to watching that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can feel free to call me if you need any plot um, insider things because it's pretty. It's you know it's a noir. It's pretty dense and pretty twisty. Yes. So here's, here's very complex. That's that's my kind of movie. I'm looking forward to that. So awesome. But, but thank you again for coming on the show, and we will. Uh, we will be following up with you on social media. Um, again, May 28th, the film is called Qualified. You'll find it on ESPN. Um, so, so best of luck to you, Jenna, and we hope to uh, talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you guys so much. Enjoy the rest of the, the chat, and I'll see you at Indy. Yes, I'll see you at Indy. I'll be there. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. All right, fellas. So Kansas, NASCAR. Kansas NASCAR. Kansas NASCAR. Which one of you guys wants to jump in? We've got about well, 20 minutes left in the show. We could do 10 minutes NASCAR, 10 minutes IndyCar. Uh, because, like I said, Formula One, you know, another Mercedes. Well, 
one, two, what, what can be said. But uh, to, uh, I, thought, I thought the NASCAR race was pretty good. Probably the best mile and a half race we've had this year. I thought it was I thought it was a, a, a terrific race. We got what we wanted. We got a lot of uh, uh, a, a lot of movement throughout the race. A lot of is very highly competitive. A lot of guys ran up front. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought uh, I thought it was a good uh, a good race. Had a had a great ending. Uh, you know, uh, Keselowski come comes through and uh, you know. Uh, of course, Harvick, he had his, he, he dominated, he led the most laps, but he never did completely, you know, get away from, get away from everybody, but racing all up and down through the field was, was terrific. They were running three and four breast a lot during the race, and, you know, if you want side-by-side racing, that, that race delivered. And they were even five wide at times, yep. and I don't mean just on the restart, I mean for like two, three, four laps in a row, which... Mm-hmm. At least for one and a half miles, unusual in most cases. And it kept uh, the field closely bunched up together. I mean, you didn't see guys getting away. So I thought I thought the rules package probably, you know, did what it was did what it was intended to do to do there. And uh, I'm I for one looking forward to the All Star race this weekend. Now, just a couple of different notes that I had. This is actually the first time since Pocono 2015. And no one of the big three that we've been talking about all last year, anyway, did not finish in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Harvick was the best of that big three contingent, finishing thirteenth, and he actually had to go to pit road. Uh, he thought he had a right front going down. What it actually was was a windshield tear off on the splitter made the car act like it had a tire going down. And Kyle Busch, he had trouble there on, on one of the restarts. He got kind of sandwiched and pinched down and uh, ended up having a, a, a tire issue because I think basically he was headed he was headed to another top 10 finish, possibly and a top five finish before his trouble uh, got him. One other thing, uh, NASCAR admitted that they actually did make a mistake on one of those final restarts that uh, they uh, had Eric Jones restarting eighth or in the eighth position, he should have restarted actually in 10th. Does that make that big of a difference in the long run? We probably won't know. But there were a lot of drivers moving up and down, uh, trying to protest where they were supposed to restart because the caution had come out in the middle of a round of green flag pit stops. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the fans were complaining on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, social media, you name it. And the the ultimate reason is because the drivers were being told we should restart here, but NASCAR's uh, system is all electronic. They should have known exactly where everybody should have started, and they were telling the drivers, but they kept moving up. Uh, Eric Jones' team, for example, were arguing that because they didn't pit, they should have been the leader because they were on the lead lap. Mm-hmm. However, they took the wave around. And they know they took the wave around. So it was those shenanigans that cost us probably somewhere around four or five laps of green flag competition. Ultimately, that's on the teams. That's not on NASCAR. It's just all the fans, of course, blame NASCAR because to them, they don't see or hear the team's shenanigans. 
One other thing I do want to mention also, Tyler Reddick, in his, just his second cup start, got a top 10 finish, which nowadays is pretty unheard of. 11 teams failed pre-race uh, inspection, at the, and with this being an impound race, uh, that meant they all lost their starting position. Not only does this affect them this past weekend at Kansas, it'll also affect them in two weeks at the Coke 600 because qualifying the order that they go out is a random draw. Uh, the first 20 that go out is everyone who started in the second half of the field the previous week. So that would be drivers like Chase Elliott, Eric Almarola, Martin Truex Jr., etc. So is that a disadvantage to go out in the first half of the session? Depending on the track, at, at Charlotte with how temperature-sensitive it is, qualifying starts during the day but ends at night. So you're going to get it. You're going to get a better speed after the sun goes down. Yes. Understood. So it really depends on the track, uh, ultimately. It, the truck series was also in action. Uh, Ross Chastain got his first career truck win after Stuart Friesen ran out of fuel. It's also the first truck win for Nice Motorsports, which only became a team less than two and a half years ago. Good for them. Uh, Al Nice, who's a war veteran, joked that he started a team for him to race. Mind you, he's 70 years old. And that he originally wanted to call it IR Racing because he actually took money from his IRA account to start the team. That's funny. Yeah, so good for them. So we are off to the All-Star Race next. Yes. And is do we have a, a new format this year? Or are we? Uh, it's the same format as last year, except the final stage is an extra five laps. And and any any uh, tweaks in the rules package for this for this weekend, Seth? Well, we have the uh, extra long splitter, uh, and when I say extra long, I don't mean extending forward. It's a basically a giant radiator pan that's supposed to eliminate some of the shenanigans teams are doing underneath the car that we don't see. We also have the air ducts going up through the hoods, which makes them look a little bit more like the actual street cars. And those parts and pieces are all manufactured by NASCAR. And the teams did not get these pieces until Friday of last week. So that way they could not go to the wind tunnel and try to maximize performance. They have kind of an equalizing effect getting everybody the stuff at the last minute, huh? That and also it gives NASCAR a more accurate uh, gauge as to where to go because this kind of stuff is being tested for the 2021 rules package, the, essentially the Gen 7 car. But depending on the results this weekend, we could see one, if not both of these, in next year's rules package. Just have to see how it looks on the track. Now, the to be in the all-star race, right? Now, that includes all past champions, correct? Uh, all, within the past 10 years. I don't, do we have anybody that's been a champion 10 years ago that's still around? Uh, other than Jimmy Johnson? Jimmy Johnson, yeah. So he won <laughs> all those, right? So, Just um, now. Yeah, 10 years is not that long of a time frame now that I think about it. Uh, and uh, past race winners from the last year? Two, uh, 2018 and 2019. Oh, okay. And then the then the, we have the 
uh, open, right? Uh, each stage winner from the open. That's three total. And the uh, fan and, then, vote. and a fan vote. Okay, so now the fan vote that's already active and going on, is it not? Yes. Uh, last I checked, Matthew Bandetto is actually leading the fan vote. They don't give us actual numbers uh, to see, but he was in the lead. And Ross Chastain, who, like I said, won the truck race this past weekend, he's an Xfinity Series regular. He's actually in the top ten for the drivers uh, eligible for the fan vote. Now, if he wins the fan vote, doesn't have a cup ride. Hey, he's, <laughs> does, does, he's does somebody entered. Put him in a car. Oh, he, oh, he is entered. He's entered. He is running the full season with Premium Motorsports. Okay. The only uh, the eligibility requirements for the open and for the fan vote is that you have to have competed within the past two years, and you also have to finish the open on the lead lap. With an undamaged car. So, what's the definition of undamaged? I mean, does it need to be uh, pristine, clean? I mean, is a little a little uh, fender, fender uh, bumping okay? A little a little, a little fender bumping is okay. Basically, it, it would not have it would not need to go through the damaged vehicle policy that NASCAR okay. has. All right, all right, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of an interesting wrinkle there because we've seen you know we've seen guys. You know, win a win a race in in the Cup Series in, in a car that's largely, uh, you know, beat to heck, especially on a short track. You know, you not not so much at Charlotte. But the uh, problem is though, uh, the open is only about an hour and a half, two hours before the race, before the All Star race. So if you finish with a damaged car, and when I say damaged, I'm talking about. Uh, the entire front end being ripped off because he went through the grass and dug into the grass or something, or you have suspension damage because you bounce off the wall. You would not have enough time in normal circumstances to repair it. Basically, yeah, they don't no, want anyone pulling no, out no. a backup car. I got you. Uh, that makes sense then, since the, the next race is right after that. So, so do we want do we want to pick a winner for the All Star race? I mean, I know it's uh, it's all for fun. It's all for money. But uh, who do you who do you like for this one, Gray? Oh gosh, uh, it's it's hard to say, but um, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, the I'm going with a Ford. Um, they've been been tough all year long. Um, I'm gonna say um, uh, Joy Logano. Sure, good pick. Now, Seth, you gonna I'm go gonna, with the Chevy then? I'm gonna go with Chevy. Yes, and yeah, I'm read not- your mind. I'm actually going to go with Jimmy Johnson. Uh, I'll, the reason why I'm thinking Jimmy, although it wouldn't be his first win this year, I believe he's either he or Kevin Harvick are the last one to actually sweep both of the uh, non-points races in a season, which is the Clash and the All-Star Race. But with the performance Hendrick has had recently, I mean, seven Chevys in the in the top ten at Kansas – on top of the fact that Jimmy is just due for a win. Uh, if he doesn't win uh, by the 600, he's going on a two-year winless streak. And wouldn't that wouldn't that be just great if he breaks his two-year winless streak in a non-points race? <laughs> <laughs> How I mean, ironic like, that would that, be. That's like a Pyrrhic victory, right? <laughs> or a backhanded compliment or whatever you'd like to call it. So, Well, since, uh, Gray, you're going to go with a Ford. And Seth, you're going to go with a Chevy. I'm going to go with a Toyota and say that uh, Martin Truex Jr., uh, the master of the of the one and a half mile ovals, uh, go ahead and, 
and going to win the all-star race here. So uh, but with that being said, let's, uh, let's focus on Indianapolis. It's the month of May. Uh, the, the IndyCar Grand Prix uh, was held recently. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, um, Simon Paginot, who's, you know, in a lot of folks minds, Simon's been on the hot seat at Penske. Uh, they're, they're talking like, you know, that he may be replaced by Rossi, this and that. And this is all idle talk, you know, not from informed sources, but uh Simon came out and put on a clinic. I mean, my gosh, he he didn't qualify well, but once the once the rain came, he really got around that that course better than anybody else, and he was he, he was running seconds quicker than everybody else, and just just ran through that field at the end. Um, great, the last, the last ten laps were were great. Yeah, it was fantastic, um, and the race itself was full of. Uh, full of action of uh, different varieties, uh, you know, we saw. And we saw a very interesting starting grid there with uh, Rosenquist taking his first pole. Um, Jack Harvey qualified third. Jack Harvey finished third, um, his career best start and finish. Um, and that Michael Shank team, they're just they're just uh, happy as can be. The momentum they have going into the Indianapolis is fantastic. Um, I mean, Jack Harvey was uh, very composed. Um, you know, rarely put a wheel wrong, uh, all race and, um, you know, and reap the benefits of that. So great job to Jack Harvey. <clears throat> so with the Grand Prix behind us, and, and again, that's the, uh, was the fifth race of the IndyCar season and the fifth different winner, um, which, uh, which I think is, a, is always a good way to start the season. It shows how deep the field is. Now the practice for the Indianapolis 500 is underway. We've got uh, two days of practice under our belts. Both days were led by the Penske cars. Uh, Will Power led day one. Joseph Newgarden led day two. Um, and both in the, the 228, 229 range. Um, but the, the more the interesting thing to look at is the no-toe speeds. Um, and you've got to look at who's there. You've got folks that are near the bottom of the speed charts, but the no toe speeds, they're, they're much higher up. Like, uh, Oh, say Pippa man, for instance, she's got the, uh, she's kind of mired towards the back there, but her no toe speed is 12th quick. Um, and the no toe speed is more indicative of what you're going to see in a qualifying effort. So, but the big news is the first guy to find the wall, um, was Alonzo. Now day one of practice, McLaren struggled mightily, could not get the car up to speed. Uh, day two, they got they got a little more speed. Uh, he cracked into the top 20 in speeds there, um, you know, which would be very, very safe for qualifying. And he just, he lost it. He uh, hit the inside wall and the outside wall twice. Um, so he's joined the, you know, the, the old saying goes, there's two kind of drivers at Indianapolis, those that have hit the wall and those that are going to hit the wall. So he joined that club. And later in the afternoon, Felix Rosenqvist joined that club as well. He had a he had a nasty hit um, into the outside wall and then into the the tire barriers. Um, mm. Took a, took a real hard hit. Um, uh, both Will Power and Jack Harvey are lucky they didn't uh, clobber him as he was, yeah, yeah, went he, back across the track yes, out of control. He, he, obviously, right, but. right. He, he nearly collected both of those guys. There could have been easily could have been a three car wreck, but uh, you know, thankfully, uh, Will and and Jack uh, made it through. Um, Felix. So now, you know, he, you know, everyone's, we've seen, uh, you know, how the car can just get away from you at Indianapolis. Yeah, we, we, we've seen it with uh, much greater. We've, we've seen it happen to the great Rick Mears, you know, late in his career, he had never hit the wall. And then 92, he, you know, he's ended up upside down, sliding down the backstretch. 
um, during a practice run. So I, I feel like um, at the end of the day, um, all the cars were, I believe, eight-tenths of a second separated the entire field. Um, but it's still it's a little early to tell who's going to be in real trouble of being in this last road shootout. Um, by the time the show airs, the day three will be done, and then a Friday will be Fast Friday. Saturday will begin the, the qualifying procedure. So looking forward to a really good Indy 500. Um, other news out of India, Yunko showed up with the news that they had lost both their sponsors um, or their sponsors for the Indy 500. Uh, so Kyle Kaiser is there running very competitive times in a plain white car. I mean, it looks like, uh, it looks like the die cast of the autograph car, just plain white, sad looking, um, you know, space for rent here. So, but the way they're running, I hope somebody jumps on board. You know, we, we've seen Indianapolis, through the month of May is known for these sponsor announcements. As a matter of fact, you know, Harding Steinbrenner announced three new sponsors for their car. Uh, you know, one primary and two associates. They announced two more associates today. So there's folks out there looking to attach their name to a race car. So hopefully uh, Kyle can run well enough that uh, he'll catch somebody's eye uh, and they'll want to attach their name to the car. I mean, uh, Ricardo Yunkos. Um, is a very professional operation. Uh, the guys, the guy is top notch. Uh, so hopefully, um, th- you know, somebody will step up and uh, help them out. So now, Seth, Gray, get to watch the Grand Prix or any of the practice? No, I have not had a chance to to watch any practice this year. Of course, you know, uh, unlike years past, now you have to purchase the package uh, from. Uh, um, the NBC, I guess NBC, NBC Sports yeah. to get you know the content that we were used to getting you know uh, over the last several years. You used to could go to uh, you know to the Speedway site or to Indy Race Control and uh, and and get to watch practice. So no, but I I've tried to follow it, but I haven't been able to, to sit and watch it like I have in years past. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's a little disappointing for those folks who don't have the gold. But, you know, the folks that, that have bought that gold package, and by the way, they, they, they've they dropped the price on it from, I think, $59 to 30, 35 39 Yeah, $39. $39. Yeah, what I saw. Offering exactly. a discount. So, um, but what I'm, what I'm hearing or what I'm seeing is that we're getting really top-notch uh, quality you know, broadcast quality stuff on NBC yeah. Gold, whereas the, you know, the Facebook Live stuff they would do, you just, you know, there were just some static camera angles with, um, with uh, the radio with guys. radio, which, and then yeah. the, what the radio guys were talking about never matched what you were seeing on the track. So this but is actually, you know, the thing about it is though, you know, with a sport that's trying to to garner viewership like it is, and 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 pick up their their presence and, and and ratings and whatnot. It looks like they would uh, they would kind of make it a little bit more uh, more of a, have an appeal to it to where you could you could watch it and not have to go because I tell you you know when people have to look for it you know you're out of sight out of mind. Oh yeah, more, but, more but recent. I, think, I, I just gonna want to say, but I think, you know the the era of free television. Is nearly over as the era of streaming stuff is is taking over, and, and there's a, there's a lot of different opinions. There's some folks that that's just refuse to buy the pack and think it's the worst thing in the world, uh, and there are other folks that have bought it and think it's the greatest thing in the world. Then there's guys that have bought it and can't figure out how to work it, and, and they feel very disappointed. But Seth, you had a comment. Uh, yeah, more recently, uh, NASCAR is actually 
moved a lot of their practice sessions and some truck qualifying sessions onto uh, their own website. And like Gray said, sometimes that stream is just stack camera angles and you have either the folks at uh, the Motor Racing Network or the Performance Racing Network, the two radio stations uh, providing the play-by-play, and sometimes it's not what you're seeing on the camera. Yeah, and and one thing that you know used to, that we were used to watching was you know the, the the morning practices would be on the ones that the practices early afternoon or the or the late morning practices would always be televising, but now. Uh, uh, what is it? FS1 is only showing practice that begin after 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Is that, is that right, Seth? Uh, unless it's uh, the Daytona 500, which obviously is past. Uh, the Coke 600, I believe, is going to be different. And I think Sonoma, because it's their last race of the season mm-hmm, for right. FS1. Yeah, yeah and, but the interesting thing for me is that if you watch Fox Sports 1 in the morning, they they show the same three talk shows six times a piece. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know how many how many times you want to listen? But to, but uh, here's but here's the, the deal. first take, you know, or or so they've got sponsors for them though. They've got that's true. That's true. Sponsor ads. So I mean, basically, that's what's driving it. So yeah. But I can as, I can only listen to Colin Cowherd so many so much though. Uh, exactly. So, I'm anyway, with you on that. Yeah. So we're we're up against our time barrier, but what I do want to do is you know Indianapolis qualifying will come up. So let's all let's all pick the poll winner for Indianapolis. So who do you, Seth? Who do you think takes the poll for Indianapolis? And and give me an idea of what you think that poll speed's going to be. Ah, that's a tough one. Well, um. I'm going to go with Will Power. He was the fastest in the opening practice, if I remember correctly. And pole speed, what are they averaging? Uh, 220? Yeah, they've been 228, 229. Um, okay. Uh, but but once, they, once they crank the boost up on Friday, you, you'll, you'll see – You'll see it go over two thirty. No, yeah, no, I was gonna say. I was gonna I'll, say, depending on what the weather is for this weekend. But I would, you know, I'm thinking it's gonna I, be. I, I'm gonna say the pole speed will be two thirty three point five. That's a fast pole speed. Yeah, I'd like to see that. I mean, it's yeah. not. It's not. It's not impossible. We've seen. We've seen laps over two thirty two thirty three on Fast Friday recently. Mm-hmm. So. Um, now, Gray, Gray, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, uh, we've had a lot of guys flirt with it. Scott Dixon was at the top of the uh, pylon for uh, for a bit today when I when I checked in. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's it's uh, Penske cars look tough right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna say New Garden, and I'm gonna say pole speed's gonna be. Uh, uh, two thirty-two. All right, so you stole my pick. So, <laughs> but I, I, I think, uh, yeah, all the all the Pensy cars are stout. I think the Chevrolets are stout. But uh, for me, I'm going to say Ed Carpenter takes his his third pole at the Speedway at a speed of two thirty-two and change. So, uh, and maybe Ed wins one this year. Who knows? The mm-hmm. guy, the guy had a great year last year. The only thing keeping him from winning is that Will Power had a better race. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, with that being said, guys, we're out of time. So, uh, you know, by the time we uh, 
we reconvene next week. I'll be getting ready to pack my bags to go to Indianapolis for the race. Um, we'll, we'll know who the pole sitter is. We'll know who won the all-star race, and we'll have a good conversation mm -hmm. uh, about, about the Indy 500. We'll know who's in and who's out, so that'll be a great show next week. Again, I want to thank uh, Jenna Ricker for coming on the show. Uh, remind you again that uh, Qualified will be on ESPN on the 28th of May. I want to thank uh, the Hoobazoo Radio Network and Spreaker and iHeartRadio. And I want to thank you, Gray, and thank you, Seth. And we'll talk to you in a week. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.